Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Communication Mixed Down. The show that takes a critical look at contemporary media. And explores the way we use communication to make sense of the world around us. From social media to citizen journalism. To the logo on the front of your favourite T-shirt. It's all part of the Communication Mixdown. Each week, Thursday, 6 to 6.30. Communication Mixdown. Cranking up. Right here on 3CR. Jamo Thomas, I spy for the FBI. Well, this week, who's watching you and what are they doing with what they're watching and seeing? I'm John Langer, and this is Communication Mixdown. In case you didn't know it, last month, the government's metadata retention scheme kicked in. The implications for us as citizens in what we like to think of as a democracy are massive. Tom Solston works with a nonprofit organization called Digital Rights Watch, and he's on the phone from Sydney to explain exactly what's at stake for us as citizens when we go online. Hello, Tom. Good evening, John. Now, Digital Rights Watch, just for a start, give us a little bit of a background to this organization. What's, in, what, what, what's it about? Sure. So Digital Rights Watch... Uh, was founded in 2015, uh, around the time that metadata retention was becoming a a hot issue. Um, And it was uh, a group of lawyers, um, technologists, uh, and campaigners um, coming together because we realized that there were some kind of legal changes coming up in the Australian landscape that were going to have some very fundamental effects on the way that Australians are able to communicate, uh, able to use the internet, able to organize themselves politically and socially. Um, and this has been going on for some time, and we, we wanted to have a body to increase um, the amount of pressure that we could bring to, to government to think more carefully before kind of selling our, our digital rights down the, uh, down the river. Now, for ordinary folks like me, and uh, this is really what I, I kind of grappling with. What sort of online data would I be generating that would need to be collected and retained? So as part of the Australian uh, metadata retention scheme, 
what we're we're talking about is is data that's kind of loosely referred to as metadata or information about information. So so not necessarily like the contents of your your conversations or your emails but information that sort of relates around that. So who might you be calling? What time might you be calling them? Uh, where were you when you, you made that call? Um, or, you know, where, um, who are you sending emails to and at what time and uh, who's, who's sending emails to you? That sort of thing is the data that's being kept um, by telecommunication companies um, as legislated by the Australian government. Okay, so I was online today. I, in fact, I was online a lot. I made a few phone calls from my mobile phone. Mm-hmm. All of that would be getting collected. That's correct. So that, like the the records of the fact that you did those things, um, those would be being stored by your telecommunications provider or your ISP. And also my location, where I was when I was doing all that. That is correct. Yes, location is one of the kind of fields required in the metadata um, uh, legislation. Okay, now let's just roll it back a little bit. And I, I do know a little bit about this, but just to get you to sort of unpick it for us, what, why, why, why is this being? Why is it necessary to to collect this stuff and and, and, is, and store is, and store it? That is an excellent question. Um, and one I think that the the government has kind of singularly failed to answer very well. Um, now we were there were kind of reasons thrown thrown around while this legislation was going going through the House of Parliament um, around the prevention of terrorism and crime, um, for which there is no evidence that this is useful. Um, so so that is kind of the the excuse given for for hoovering up all of this data. So it's basically uh, an attempt to, I guess, it's a counter-terrorist, as it were, a counter-terrorist uh, um, action. It's 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 a way of kind of addressing that issue. Yeah, I mean, legal um, uh, kind of intelligence um, organizations have been using the kind of collect it all mentality, kind of the the NSA and GCHQ. Um, as well as um, ASIO and the New Zealand spying outfits have been using kind of taking this idea of just gather all of the data you can, hold on to it for as long as you can, and then later on pick it apart and see if you can find anything useful. Um, whether that is a good and functioning way to um, combat terrorism is largely unknown. So it hasn't really been proven. I mean, it's it's a hypothesis, essentially. It hasn't been proven in other places. Uh, Australia using a model uh, from somewhere else? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, the, question, the next question I, I, I've got, and this is something I, I think you've probably had a, a long and hard think about, given that you're involved in Digital Rights Watch. Digital campaigners like yourself and advocates like yourself have been opposed and, in fact, campaigning very hard against these metadata retention laws. Why have you been campaigning against them? So there are a number of of reasons why, you know, we believe that metadata retention is a a bad idea. Um, And those those vary from the kind of the rights-based argument um, where in the United Nations Declaration on Human Rights, humans have the right to communicate without interference from their government. Um, 
because being able to communicate is, is part of what it means to be human. Like we need to exchange ideas with each other to, to grow civil society, to grow ourselves. And if we're unable to do that, if we're living in a, a surveillance society, there is no way for society to grow. So it's that kind of rights-based argument of it's just not right to do that to humans. Like we don't, we don't do that to humans. But also there are other arguments. So the metadata gathered as part of data, uh, metadata retention, earlier on in the year, the Attorney General's office was taking submissions on whether to extend the groups that could access that metadata. So no longer just kind of law enforcement um, and anti-terrorism uh, intelligence outfits, but to open up access to that data to civil litigation proceedings. So you could imagine that, you know, a person going through a divorce or something like that mm. could have their phone records mm. subpoenaed mm. by mm. their soon-to-be ex, ex-partner. Um, and we felt that that kind of inevitable growth of, of scope means that there's a huge potential for abuse of that data mm. when it exists and when it's being stored. That That is really, really disturbing, I have to say. And and you can roll it on from there, I presume. Uh, divorce is just one thing. You can get involved in all kinds of stuff. Absolutely. I mean, the, the good news on that story is that, you know, we were able to kind of beat that uh, that extension back. Um, so the the bodies that have access to that data will remain just the, the law enforcement bodies. But it shows that when you have that data, um, mm. the ability to misuse it grows and grows. And we, we've seen that with data retention last year when the, um, the AFP was um, trying to get access to Paul Farrell's metadata. Uh, Paul Farrell is a journalist for The Guardian who does some sterling work on whistleblowers and privacy and data retention. Um, and so they were sifting through his metadata for reasons that we don't know, because he's quite clearly not a national security risk. How do, how can I get, just maybe this is uh, getting a little bit off, but h- how did they how did they do that? I mean, would, do they just do that underhandedly with without anybody knowing? And 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 uh, how did they how did Paul Farrell find out that this was happening? Well, the the um, Paul Farrell I think was able to find out through a, a Freedom of Information request through the the um, Information Commissioner. Um, there is a a an interesting feature of the data retention um, legislation, which is that journalists are a special class of people in the legislation. And therefore, if if, uh, if the AFP or similar organizations want to access a journalist's metadata, they have to obtain a warrant. For the rest of us mere mortals, they can just go ahead and take it. They don't need to ask anyone. They don't need to tell us that they've seen it. They don't need to report on it. Um, and that is, that's quite a a chilling story as well. Like we, we have no idea what is going on inside the the machine that is making available that data. Just to continue with uh, Paul Farrell, uh, so so they would have had a warrant to uh, to search through his metadata. Is that right? Because he is a journalist. Uh, in that instance, I believe they were they were asking to get a warrant, and I don't know if they uh, succeeded in it or not okay. um, last year. However, the news that broke. Um, last week, where the AFP had been, uh, again, through an FOI request, um, it had been found out that the AFP had had a number of internal breaches of procedure where officers had been accessing um, metadata when they shouldn't have. And one of those instances was accessing a journalist's metadata without a warrant. 
Hmm, yes, I read about that, and I was going to ask you about that. And uh, the, I, as I understand, the uh, the commissioner or, or whoever was the head of uh, the Australian Federal Police uh, basically said it was a it was a human error. Yeah, um, and you know I, that that seems reasonable. Um, you know, people make mistakes, and sometimes Indeed. when they're in a computer interface, they click on the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Um, this one looks a little bit more more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, because the reason that that journalist's metadata was being accessed was because the uh, the AFP were trying to hunt down uh, a leak within a Commonwealth department, and so they they were looking for you know, how does how is this information getting out? So human error in the sense of like oh I clicked in the wrong place and I saw something I shouldn't have done. Mm-hmm. It's not really indicative that like that that officer was still doing what he was trying to do. That's, that is indicative not of a small mistake. It's indicative of a broken system. Mm. Like the fact that that officer was able to make that human error means that the system in which they're working is broken in some way. To go back to your, uh, your, your discussion about the uh, exemptions that journalists have, and the thing that I was thinking about when you were talking about that is Journalists may have ex- ex- uh, a certain kind of exemption, but you're saying essentially other ple- ordinary citizens like you and I, uh, we don't have those exemptions. I'm thinking here particularly of people who are involved in activism, and I'm thinking particularly environmental activism or people who are organizing rallies or blockades or any kind of nonviolent civil disobedience or even whistleblowers. All of those those categories of people essentially have no exemptions and their metadata can be collected and searched through. Absolutely. And we've, we've seen um, in other parts of the world how that data can be used to suppress um, protests, dissent, civil disobedience. Um, in Turkey, uh, I think 2015, um, the government was able to send text messages through the state telecommunications company to geographic areas where a protest was going on. So they could send a text message to everyone that was there saying, you are taking part in an illegal protest, go home. And of course, they can then harvest that that data to learn whose phones were in that location and then chase them down later. So we have concrete evidence that it is possible to use metadata for that kind of deliberate action of, of suppressing um, dissent and um, uh, civil engagement I'm talking with Tom Solston, and he is works with a nonprofit organization called Digital Rights Watch, and he's talking as, to us from Sydney. We'll just have a quick break. Is that okay, uh, Tom? That's good for me. We want to hear from you. Our station is all about serving the community, and we want to know your thoughts, comments, and ideas to help shape <laughs> our future. We're currently asking listeners to take part in a short online survey that will help us get to know you better and understand what you want from your local radio service. The results of this survey will assist us in continuing to be the best possible station we can be in service of our valued community. To have your voice heard, head to our website and fill out the survey. I'm Tash Sultana, and you are listening to 3CR. Please subscribe. Do yourselves a massive favour. Thank you very much. This is Communication Mixdown. I'm John Langer, and I'm talking with Tom Solston. He works with 
uh, ooh, what, what, where, where are you? Where are we? Did you, <laughs> Tom? That's terrible, isn't it? A digital rights watch, and uh, he's talking about uh, the new regulations that have come in about um, collection of metadata. And as we just heard, all of the stuff that I was doing today online and on my mobile phone is somehow being collected and stored somewhere with my provider. Now, I wanted to ask another question, Tom, something that uh, I think you've had a little bit of a think about is compared to other countries, how does Australia's metadata retention rules weigh up? Are we more draconian in that sense? I think it, it's, it kind of depends where you see Australia's place in the world. So definitely Australia is a less draconian place than North Korea. However, the rationale for introducing um, metadata retention was was kind of pushed very hard by the Attorney General as this is the way that the Western world is going. Western governments are doing this. It's, it's kind of the thing that we need to do as a, as a Western society. And in fact, the opposite is true. So in the United States, it is, um, it is a constitutional right not to be spied on by the government, so they cannot do that. Uh, in Europe, the European Court of Human Rights struck down um, British uh, and I think possibly also French uh, metadata retention schemes. So European nations have had to roll back their metadata retention. So the rest of the world is, is going in an opposite direction to Australia, which is becoming more authoritarian, while the rest of the world is becoming more liberal. And uh, something else that I, when I was reading up a little bit about this before we t- spoke, um, something that I came across is there has been some, some suggestions that a new parliamentary inquiry should be set up to review this whole system. Is that Digital right, Rights Watch's view as well? Absolutely. I mean, we, we think that this legislation should be canned as swiftly as, as, as humanly possible. Um, but I, I think, you know, the, the very least we should be doing is um, reviewing how it has worked out, um, what are the things that it has achieved, um, what are the things that it has failed to achieve, and kind of assessing it um, on its own merits. Um, so absolutely, it is a, a strong candidate for, a, um, for an inquiry. And there is no provision at pr- currently to review what's been going on up till now? I believe not. Okay. Now, the other thing I wanted to ask about, and again, this is I'm sure this is something that you've thought about, the major providers of digital services like Telstra, Optus, and a whole bunch of others, apparently they're also involved in tr- lobbying the government to change the regulations. Could you fill us in a bit about that? Yeah, so the... The nature of this legislation is that the government itself is not doing the metadata retaining. That work is being done by the telcos. So they have to run servers and storage and logging and backups and a whole load of security apparatus around that data to do something which is a pure cost for them. Like it's not a thing that's going to make Telstra any money. You're not going to go to a different telco because they retain your data more effectively. Um, For them, it is pure cost and hassle and you know, heavily regulated, so they're, they're collecting a lot of personal sensitive data that they are then on the hook for um, for securing. So for them, it's all risk, it's all money, um, it's a difficult thing to do well. You can understand why, you know, out of pure naked commercial reasons, they wouldn't want to do that. 
And if it is uh, a cost for them, does the, does the government subsidize them in any way or is this entirely coming out of their pockets? I, I believe there have been some subsidies to cover the setup costs, and, yeah. um, but I, I don't know the exact nature of those. I suspect there's probably some kind of commercial incompetence yes. um, arrangements around those. And the other question, I guess, that pops into my head is, is, is the process going to be audited? In other words, are these companies going to be, have regulators coming around to check on them, which also is a cost, I suppose, for us as taxpayers? You would hope so. Um, I imagine the um, Office for um, the Privacy Commissioner will be interested in how those companies are working um, and whether they're doing their, their job properly. Look, uh, this is this is up till now we've we've been talking, and it's it's fairly gloomy picture, I guess we're painting here. But look, I wanted to ask you something else because I, I think you've got a, a little bit of advice for us us folks, us ordinary folks, uh, which has to do with VPNs. And could you tell us a little bit about a VPN and and is that the solution, in a sense, to kind of I guess negotiate around these kinds of intrusions? Mm. So. Um we ran Get a VPN Day uh, recently, um, but frankly, any day is a good day to get a VPN if you don't already have one. Um, a VPN is a, a, a thing called a virtual private network. What that does is it connects your computer or your phone up to another computer uh, on the Internet in a country that's not Australia, far, far away, with an encrypted tunnel. So when you do that, your ISP or your telco can't see what data is going between your phone and the internet. So in terms of metadata retention, they are, they are unable to take anything other than you connected a VPN to the internet. That's the only thing they're able to find out. So those are quite common things in, in Australia already um, because they allow people to circumvent geo-blocked content. But they do also have this effect of being able to make your uh, your metadata effectively invisible to your telecommunications company. Now, the the VPN does it does it cost money to 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 subscribe to it, or or do you still have to? Do you look? I'm you're you're talking to a really like a, a bit of a dinosaur here, but do you, do you still need to like? I have a, an account with Telstra. Do I still need to keep that account with Telstra? Or is the VPN free? You you will still need to keep your account with Telstra just to connect to the internet. The VPN sits on top of that, so that is a a product that you buy from another company. And there are dozens and dozens of of VPN providers out there. Some are better than others. Um, Some are more expensive. Some are free for a certain amount of Mm -hmm. of usage. Um, I don't particularly have a strong position on saying, like, use this one, it's the best. Um, There are kind of important things. So when you're choosing your VPN, um, you know, do a bit of research, read around, see what other people say about it, and particularly have a look at their privacy policy. Most of the good ones will, will publish what their privacy policy is, and they'll tell you what sort of logs they keep, what sort of metadata they keep, and who they will give it to, and who, who they will give it to, and under what circumstances. So some of them, which are more privacy-focused, will not keep any logs at all. Um, so it's worth kind of shopping around and seeing which are which are the stronger uh, in terms of protecting your privacy. And I've been reading again a little, just a little bit about this. And one of the drawbacks, as I understand it, is with using a VPN that the, the speed is is a little bit slower than than what your provider would would, would allow. It 
can be, um, but not necessarily always. Um, so some some telcos do what's called traffic shaping, where they will slow down certain sorts of internet activity, maybe your Skype calls or your your Netflix, and speed up other sorts of internet activity. Mm. So if they're doing that by by using a VPN and, and hiding effectively what that traffic is, they're unable to do that. Um, so the, the speed decrease is pretty negligible um, most of the time. So it's very good advice that you're giving us to get onto a VPN and uh, and do it as quickly as we can. Absolutely. Well, look, uh, I, I really appreciate your time. You've been very generous with, with Communication Mixed Down tonight, Tom, and I appreciate your, your insights as well. So I want to wish you all the best with your work and also with, uh, with the organizational, organization Digital Rights Watch. So keep well. Thank you very much. I'm talking there with Tom Solston. He's an IT specialist and works with Digital Rights Watch. Their motto, as we heard him talking about, is we believe that digital rights are human rights. Hi, it's Paul Kelly here. Hi, this is Shane Howard here, asking you to support 3CR. Independent radio station, encouraging independent music and independent thought. They've been supporting musicians for more than 30 years, so let's support them. You've been listening to Communication Mixdown. We have got to get out of here. It's uh, been a real pleasure talking with Tom Solston, and uh, we'll put up the information about Digital Rights Watch on our website, on the Communication Mixdown website. And we might put up a few of those other things that he was talking about as well in case you want to get a little bit more informed about these things. I'm sure we'll be returning to metadata retention in the future. Uh, 